0: You're in there, you're naked, you think everything's fine.
1: Well, that's how dating works, isn't it? (laughs) It's
0: the only thing that brings me joy.
1: We are standing by to quit our jobs. Welcome to Up Yours Downstairs, the podcast that forgave without mercy. I'm Kelly Anakin. And I'm Tom Schneider. We are properly married. For God's sake,
0: can't you control your woman?
1: you mean you uh
0: yeah maybe yourself i don't know
1: you can't tie me down <laughs> i'm crazy that's
0: that's true you're <laughs> you're like a wild horse
1: I'll uh yeah well look out i might have pink eye
0: <laughs> well it's feed me as the-
1: much hot water and oatmeal hot as you can make it
0: uh, that molly coddling it just brings on pink eye <laughs> They, they actually thought that was what caused Pink Eye at the time. Really? Molly Coddling? <laughs> I thought
1: Molly Coddling brought on the collie wobbles. <laughs> we yeah. can do this all day. <laughs> we could.
0: But we're not going to. We are not. Uh, we do have one new country to announce. It is Uruguay. Ooh. So, bienvenidos a Uruguay. And that then brings us to telegrams from our cousins. Oh, boy. <laughs> yes. Our first telegram comes from Cousin Amanda, who writes, Dear Cousin Kelly and Cousin Tom, Ahoy, ahoy, it's me again, your Honorable Cousin, the Countess of Greenbank, not Greenland. First off, words do not express how excited I was to learn that I was named Cousin of the Week. I was certainly not expecting that, and I shall endeavor to be worthy of such a prestigious award. This week, I write with a recommendation. In your recaps of Downton Abbey Series 3, Cousin Kelly researched the history of cars for a fashion backwards segment. I found this particularly interesting, as I am a moderate fan of cars. To facilitate my sort of interest, I happened to watch a British show, which you may have heard of, called Top Gear. I was pretty familiar with the information you managed to dig up on early automobiles, because in one episode of Top Gear, two of the show's presenters looked at a few of the earliest cars. Top Gear is easily accessible, as it is available for streaming on Netflix. Just look for Series 10 and select Episode 8. It is, of course, a car show, so they mostly focus on Ferraris, Porsches, Lamborghinis, and the like. So, to save you from three middle-aged British men going on about Formula One racing, I'm providing a timestamp. Skip forward to 5 minutes, 30 seconds, and you can stop watching as soon as that part of the show is over. Or you can keep watching if you decide you like it, unless you already watched the show, in which case I'll feel like an awful fool. But I figured that sports cars probably weren't down your avenue, and decided to send this telegram just in case. As an ending note, I've always heard the "i" in chassis pronounced with a long "e" sound, as I pronounced it just then, and was a little confused when I first listened to that episode. But I got caught on soon enough, so it's chassis, then I think.
1: I thought we were saying chassis.
0: We're maybe. I think I was saying it like Lady Amanda. Oh, really? Until now, but I don't know that I've said it very often. Yeah, in I my like life. to
1: really Americanize everything that I say. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Damn French. No I guess aluminium in this case. for me. <laughs> Fair enough. Keep up the good work. You guys are my foremost reference for Downton Abbey and the Edwardian era. With regards, your honorable cousin, Lady Amanda, Countess of Greenbank.
1: Well, thank you, Lady Amanda. Yes. We have never watched Top Gear.
0: We have seen many in advertisement. We very
1: for it. much have. So if there's any other car-loving uh, Downtonites out there, revolutionary-type chauffeurs, uh, check it out. <laughs> Our next telegram is from Cousin Misty. Dear Cousins, this is my first time writing to you, so please be genital. I don't know if that's a typo or if it's a joke, but either (laughs) way, I love it. So please be genital and excuse any mistakes I make, me being a virgin and all. So I think it was intentional. Fair enough. I have been listening to your podcast shortly after my discovery of Downton Abbey earlier this year. Been hearing tons about the show and finally decided to check it out. Had I known that Maggie Smith was in it, I would have been on the bandwagon since day one. Guess I was living under a rock. But I'm so grateful that I did watch, because it led to my newfound crack addiction and search of all things Downton. After finishing all three seasons in four days, I needed a fix and went looking for Downton-themed podcasts. I stumbled upon this, sorry to say, boring woman who only talked about what happened in the episode and didn't give any of her own POV. She made Downton seem dreadful, and had I not already seen its magnificence, I probably would have just written the show off as a waste of time. So she had to go immediately. Thankfully, yours was the second one I came across, and it felt like coming home to a great drink after a horrid day. Not only do you do more than satisfy my DA addiction, you have started others like Mr. Selfridge. Thank you for that, by the way. Listening to your podcast about Mr. Selfridge is what led me to watching and enjoying, then re-listening to episodes about it. (laughs) After that, I went from the beginning of when you guys started this podcast and was dismayed when I caught up because I would now have to wait for future episodes. I will be wrapping up soon, but I don't know when since I can go on and on about your awesomeness. You not only make learning beyond fun, but have helped me lose countless pounds from the laughter. (laughs) So glad you're now reviewing Parade's End. I loved watching it after a cousin previously mentioned it. I can only hope that you find the time and are willing to review The Paradise. Excuse me if it has already been mentioned or rebuffed. Since it is from the Victorian era around 1875, but the The more I see it, the more I fall in love. It's like Mr. Selfridge without the pivot and a blonde Miss Towler. Even if you don't review it, I still suggest watching in your downtime, whenever that is. It is a little hard to find, so I will include the site I found it on. My only hope in life is to strike it rich and support you financially so you <laughs> two can quit your jobs and podcast to your heart's content. <laughs> well, I have gone on far too long. I wish you well and can't wait for the new episodes. I bid you adieu, Lady Misty. <laughs> well, thank you, Lady Misty. That's yes. all great to hear. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember, is she the first one to recommend The Paradise? I, I think th- we've heard it before.
0: Yeah. We, we knew about it, however we had come across it. Yeah. But yeah, it's... Uh, we need a
1: show's historian to keep <laughs> track of these things, really. Indeed. <laughs> well,
0: once we're, you know, fully funded.
1: <laughs> yeah, so get on that, Lady Misty. <laughs> we are standing by to quit our jobs.
0: Yes. Next, we have a telegram from Cousin Jess. Dearest Kelly and Tom, so I'm trying the whole online dating thing, and I thought you guys would enjoy a story about the latest date I went on. So... First of all, I thought the woman looked familiar in her profile photos, but the city I live in is not that big, so I assumed I had just crossed her path before. So when she shows up for the date, it was then that I realized she reminded me of Kelly. You guys have posted a few pictures, and when I saw her in person, it hit me. Then the more we got talking, the more she reminded me of Kelly on the podcast. So as we were leaving the little cafe we ended up at for dinner, I said, Well, it's been great meeting you, Kelly. Yeah, name was not Kelly, or even close to Kelly, and from the look she shot me, I am pretty sure I will not be going on a second date. So thanks for that. Just kidding. By the way, I would like to warn all of the cousins that basically 99 out of 100 people on dating sites are batshit crazy and not in the fun way at all. Looking forward to the Doctor Who podcast and the start of DA Season 4 in the States. Cheers, darlings. Cousin Jess.
1: Well, (laughs) simply because it fed my ego. (laughs) Cousin Jess, your cousin of the week.
0: Congratulations.
1: I mean, that sucks, but at least you picked Kelly, the best name ever, (laughs) to call your date by mistake.
0: Yes, Kelly would like everybody to be mistaken for her. I
1: really would. (laughs) No, I actually, I shared that story with Red Scott of Boars, Gore, and Swords and he said, wow, people are calling your name out in romantic situations? That's how you know you're doing it right. (laughs) So I guess if that was our goal with Pod podcasting we've achieved it and we can stop now no we're not gonna stop i know incidentally if you would like to correspond with us you can send us an email or a telegram we are up yours downstairs at gmail.com you can find us on facebook just search up yours downstairs exclamation point <laughs> and on twitter aka carrier pigeons we are at five the number five maggie smiths we look forward to talking to you we absolutely do so now I think it's time to get into episode four of Parade's End. That's right. This episode was so bizarre. I mean, I enjoyed it. As did I. Especially the second time. Right. Because the first time we were really drunk on vacation. <laughs> right. We had to stop actually because we couldn't, I couldn't tell who was who. I don't know what your situation was, but I was a little more on board. But it was,
0: you know, midnight in the French Quarter and, you know.
1: Oh, speaking of which, shout out to cousin Aaron. Yes, indeed. And honorary cousin Josh Mm -hmm. for uh, squiring us around the French Quarter. That was very sweet of you.
0: And we had a very good time. We had an
1: excellent time. Doing
0: so, yes. Uh, but yeah, so we have now watched it again. In, in sobriety. In sobriety. And it was much easier to follow. Very
1: much. Well, you know, there are a lot of people in this episode who have the exact same mustache.
0: That is true.
1: So that doesn't really help it, it anything. It doesn't
0: help. And well, and a lot of people that we haven't met previously because mm-hmm. we're n- now we're in the The, the camp at Rouen. Rouen? Uh, Rouen. Yeah. Rouen,
1: yeah. Rouen. Let's call the whole thing World War One.
0: <laughs> Let's do it. Uh, but we start off at uh, some fancy schmancy dinner in London.
1: Info dump!
0: <laughs> That's right. Uh, people are having their twitty upper class conversations. Somebody's going to the summer squash at Sandborn or something like that.
1: Sandborn was Edward VII's estate. Right. I always get it confused with Sandhurst, which is also mentioned in this episode. Yes, yes. Uh, but Edward VII was dead at this point. Yes? Right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know who got up to what there then.
0: Right. Uh, but somebody was playing squash somewhere.
1: Oh, I bet they were playing squash. <laughs>
0: they were. And they're all having a jolly good time. Uh, they. It is discussed that there has been an outbreak of pink eye among the horses. No! In the
1: British Army. Yes. Not this the is, horses! Yes.
0: Which, as a fan of South Park, I think they should check whether those are in fact <laughs> zombies. But, assuming that they're not zombie horses... <laughs> Uh, one of the guests at this dinner says that Hotchkiss is the man. Hotchkiss. He has this whole theory that war horses shouldn't be mollycoddled and they need hardening and, and, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. Uh, and that if Hotchkiss should be put in charge, the Daily Comet would support that.
1: Yeah, and we looked up the Daily Comet and we think that is a made up paper. Yes. Because indeed. we very much tried to find it and all we could find was this line quoted from this episode. Right. Which also,
0: uh, speaking of which, there's all, they also will re- be referring to General Perry. I They mention him in this scene and I'll talk about him a couple other times. Uh, and General Perry, I'm pretty sure, is a made up, uh, is the fictionalized version of General Haig. Oh, okay. Um, you know,
1: I don't think so, though, really? because Mark said he was going to see General Haig in the previous episode.
0: Oh, that's true. He did say that. So
1: I don't know who this General Perry is. Yeah,
0: I couldn't find one, but of course, it's a reasonably common name, and there may have well, been... Well, and it was
1: unclear to me, because I can't remember his character's name or function, <laughs> but Murray is right. the host of this dinner party. Right.
0: Well, he was, he was, uh, you know, a baron of some kind. Um... Because later Hotchkiss says that, you know, oh, anybody right. who, conf- who crosses him will feel the displeasure like, of Baron so-and-so. Bi-
1: biker? Beecher or something? Yeah. It's something weird. Something like that. Okay. Well, he's apparently got a big to-do with the War Department. He has a lot right. of influence. Yeah. So, you know, everybody at the table is trying to influence him. The women... <laughs> <laughs> The women, I appreciated this little exchange yes. because...
0: One of whom, by the way, is Sylvia. Right. Essentially. Who's to the scene there here. bitching
1: it up as usual. Yes, indeed. Um, so there's these two other women, one of whom is Murray's wife. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, God help the poor bastard who tunes into these episodes. It's <laughs> like, wait a minute, what? Murray? There's a whole nomenclature you have to learn <laughs> on this podcast.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, so... Murray's wife no 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 there's a younger woman and she says something like oh they're talking about the single command right and how they wish the French would bloody well shut up about that right and the woman just says well I say hang the French and then Murray's wife is like yeah totally agreed why are we in this war (laughs) yeah Uh, and then Sylvia just starts you know pontificating oh god she makes everybody super uncomfortable right because she's asking if she can go to Rouen to see to sea, sea, batch. sea batch and everybody's like, do not be insane. If you put like you know, you think horses having pink guy is bad. <laughs> wait until these military dudes see a lady.
0: Yeah, look out.
1: Uh, and anyway, she's like, well, I'm sure there's a bunch of mistresses over there. And everybody's like, oh my god, why do we keep inviting her like this? <laughs> right. <laughs> and I don't think her mother was there. I don't think so because nobody told her to stop pulling the strings of the shower bath. <laughs>
0: right. Which
1: maybe that means like taking a cold shower. Oh,
0: okay, I guess so.
1: I always, I figured it's either that or like pulling back the, uh, the curtain. Yeah. And making everyone feel awkward and cold. I guess
0: that, that actually, like, cause you're in there, you're naked, you think everything's fine, then all of a sudden, boom. You're, Sylvia. Yeah, there you are.
1: <laughs> anyway, so she's talking about that. And, you know, they all keep talking about the war. And she's like, oh, I wish we could just stop talking about the war for just five minutes. And then a bomb goes off in the distance. Yeah. And she says, I give up. Yeah. And I'm also kind of like, listen, I'm against this war, but you need to shut the fuck up. Uh, right.
0: Meanwhile, the bombs are somewhat closer to the Wana Presidents in London. I don't know any Wana. <laughs> a valentine is hiding under a table and trying to get her mother to come seek shelter as well. Her mother is trying to finish up an article that she's working on. Uh, actually,
1: she's writing a letter to Christopher. Oh, there you go. So then yes. Valentine goes into like, you know, uh, Mary Culligan, you know, trance state. <laughs> right. And she's like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, so they're heading under a table that I'm sure is going to provide a lot of protection from these bombs.
0: All <laughs> right. Back at the fancy house, Sylvia is hanging out doing her makeup in some kind of dressing room type place. And a lady friend, uh, Bobby, is there. Bobby Pelham. Bobby Pelham. And uh, she is apparently leaving her husband. She's bolting. She's bolting. I
1: really actually, I like that. Yeah. Like, I think from now on, if you're going to, like, leave your spouse, you should definitely use that word because it sounds much cooler. It does. Than I'm abandoning someone and now we have to change up our whole, you know, joint checking account and all these things.
0: Right. And. Well, apparently
1: the guy she's leaving him for is a fat Jew. Yes. Which was odd.
0: It it was odd, but uh, I, I guess, you know...
1: Maybe can... they're setting up for World War II <laughs> in what will be called Parade's End 2 uh, Gaslight Boogaloo. <laughs> Could be. Anyway, Bobby wants Sylvia... To squire her soon-to-be ex-husband around, right? Uh, because he's a
0: good old sausage. Yeah, he's,
1: he's a good old sausage. So here, my whore friend, oh. why don't you make everybody think that he's banging you? Well, I why, mean, don't it's you not take,
0: a- why don't you take this sausage I'm married to?
1: <laughs> I mean, look. It's not a totally terrible strategy, right, because right. it makes him look better, yeah, it makes him look like he has some sort of other horse in the race, right, right. I mean, Sylvia's apparently bulletproof right. in terms of her reputation not being ruined
0: right, well, I don't like it's already, like everybody already knows she's a dirty, dirty horse, yeah, so.
1: but I mean, you know, as far as the society pages are concerned, they don't give a shit right, uh, yeah, so you know. Sylvia's like, okay, whatever. I'll take your sausage. All uh, right, But I want some mustard.
0: <laughs> uh, cut to General Campion at his headquarters in Rouen. He is shaving, which is always extremely impressive.
1: <laughs> I Yeah, with a straight razor. Right. I should look up all of the nominations for this because if Roger Allum did not get nominated mm. like for this scene, <laughs> this is the weirdest part. Like... All of the other episodes have been so gauzy,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and there's been humor, but it hasn't been funny. Right. But this episode plays like a farce. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's appropriate, right? Considering what a farce of a war it was, right? But you know, like even just like the incidental music in the background <laughs> is like, you know, what is this? An episode of Benny Hill?
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, it is. It. it you're right. Um, no, and I actually was. We we had discussed earlier about Emmy nominations, and I don't remember whether we said or not that it did get nominations. It did, yes. Uh, but and it was we up said against that, or we maybe did we didn't. Yeah, but it, in any case, it was up against that uh, *Liberace* miniseries. Yeah, and they movie, had Hollywood so. stars, so yeah.
1: there was really no hope.
0: Yeah, but uh, anyway. Uh, so apparently room G14R wants to transfer Tejins over to the horse lines. Well,
1: this is the request that Mark put in. Right. When he went to see General Haig. Yes. At the end of the last episode. Yes.
0: Uh, and Campion will be damned if he'll lose Tegens, uh, as Tejins is the only officer on the base that can get his men up to speed, uh, in time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're, they're on a, they're at a training base in Rouen. Th- this is all, this is all a conversation between Campion and his Colonel. Yeah, uh, uh, whose sp- name is Levin. Whose name is Levin? Uh, but we were, <laughs> we were referring to his Sergeant Ferret for a while, <laughs> even though he's not a sergeant but, or
1: a ferret. Or a but ferret, he looks but like one. He's
0: kind of ferrety. Yeah. yeah. No, and he's yeah, he's definitely one of those sort of comic characters. Uh huh. You know, even though like none of them, like it's none of it's comic per se. You know, like it no. all has this air of. As you said at one point, Blackadder goes forth very
1: much, which is certainly something we should consider. Right, right, going forth. <laughs>
0: yeah, but you know, it it
1: was just, you
0: know, the real life. Well, but again, know.
1: I mean, this is, I mean, this is like, you know, the worst of both worlds. This is the worst of the front, and it's the worst of the, you know, military bureaucracy mm-hmm. in Rouen, yeah. basically. Yeah. So I mean, I think you know, I think it's very deliberate, and I mean, you know, the people. And and Seabatch says this later. He says this is a base training camp. None of us are here because we're fit. Right. So right. this is where they send all the people who can't quite hack it. Right. In, you know, the army army. Mm-hmm. And, and, I don't know, be men and not be funny. <laughs> right. Um, but, um, yeah. you know, everyone here is a bit, you know, daft.
0: Right. And, I mean, right. General
1: Campion is just old. And, I mean, he's he's yeah. interesting to me. He's got a different...
0: Yeah. No, he's... He's a really good and interesting character. Yeah. Yeah, for sure.
1: Well, because there's someone, some guy went on divorce leave.
0: Yeah, I think that was McKechnie, was it? Maybe? It may have been McKechnie, who will be discussing yeah. in any case.
1: Anyway, but uh, he didn't get divorced, and Roger Allen just goes, how dare he not get divorced?
0: <laughs> Indeed. And apparently... He and the fellow that his wife was shacking up with have agreed to share her. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, who wouldn't want to share their wife with an Egyptologist? (laughs) Yes. Egypt was very hot back then.
0: Well, indeed. Campion had thought it was an Egyptian or some sort of Dago Mm -hmm. anyway. Which is
1: uh, speaks really to the enlightened views (laughs) of the British army at the time. Indeed. Well, then there's somebody else. Listen,
0: you don't get a worldwide colonial empire through enlightened views. Yeah.
1: Uh there's also been a letter from Surprise <laughs> <"Nittance teachings." laughs> yes, and he's quite put out about this because he does not it is not his job to reassure officers wives that they're not dead. It's bad enough having to write to them when they're not.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh
1: so he's very annoyed and I mean silly has been, you know, saying, "Oh, I'm riding General Campion and I'm going to Rwanda to visit Christopher." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what I think?
0: Was, what it is about General Campion's character is that he's in this army, and he knows that it's all kind of a clusterfuck organization. Yeah, but that's just how armies are. Uh-huh. I mean, it's an organization of what six million people. Yeah, you can't have an organization that big and have it run smoothly. Like that's it's a nightmare. Just, yeah, I, it,
1: that didn't even occur to me. Yeah, that it was that many people. Yeah.
0: And, and so, and so he is there and he is doing his best and he knows that there are lives on the line with all the things he's doing and that nonetheless his life is just a constant parade of fuck ups and he's just sort of, he, you know, he doesn't expect that to ever change. If he only
1: this parade would end.
0: <laughs> Someday we see one up. She is in like the teacher's room or whatever at her place. Somebody asks her a question about Latin is like, is subter, you know, what a case it takes. I don't know how Latin works. Um, but she sees a picture of Mrs. Tejins with Johnny Pelham. Uh, and it then cuts to her at Mark's uh, saying, because the caption says uh, Mrs. Teejins, whose husband is at the front. And that's what, uh she's upset about yeah
1: she doesn't care about mrs Teachings, <laughs> right
0: or what sausages are in her vicinity <laughs> <laughs> uh, but mark says you know that don't worry that's not true he had pneumonia he's not at the front he's at this training camp which uh she's uh she's upset by that she thought he was gonna be you know with the horses and he says well you know that's the army what are you gonna do but he says don't worry you know he's not at the front she says but aren't they dropping bombs on him and he says they're dropping bombs on you but you're still here which
1: you know man i hate it when mark makes me like him
0: yeah because he definitely because he's a real d-bag yeah
1: but like this episode he's kind of the mvp
0: (laughs) yeah he is uh, so they cut back to the training camp. There's, you know, a bunch of men bayonetting straw bags and marching in various formations and a band playing, etc
1: Military bands, man. Yeah, I don't get it.
0: Yeah, Seabatch is at his desk uh, talking with, you know, whoever his sergeant or whatever is, who's a, a, a traditional big fat sergeant. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: Standard army issue, really. <laughs>
0: right. Uh, it says that uh, McKechnie's coming uh, He has this whole thing About how he's been Trying to get Fire extinguishers But everybody keeps saying That it's somebody else's job To mm-hmm. get him fire extinguishers And he's just getting Sent round on a Wild goose chase C match
1: looks terrible By the does. way He does Yeah He needs that should be C match he- <laughs> Like he I mean I do have to Give it up for What I You know I assume Their uh, makeup department Right right Just did a phenomenal job Making him look terrible Yeah
0: He looks awful Um
1: And he had pneumonia.
0: Right. Uh, And, you know, he looks like somebody that still does. (laughs) Uh, The sergeant says that 09 Morgan is there with a request for passionate leave uh, because his wife is uh, shacking up with somebody.
1: Come passionate leave, I think. Uh, Yes, yes. Well, yeah. The issue is that she sold some shop they own to this guy, right? And now she can't get the money. But then they've heard through the grapevine that in fact she's shacking up with the guy, and he's a prize fighter, right? So it's in 09 Morgan's best interest not to go back.
0: Yeah, the the, the police in in Cardiff, I think, had written a letter being like, uh, maybe just keep him at the front because we don't need them, you know, killing each other in yeah. Cardiff. Yeah. <laughs>
1: We've already got this rift. Like, right. it's really difficult. And I
0: tried to figure out, uh, because they refer to him as 09 Morgan, and there's another that they refer to as 05 Thomas. Mm-hmm. And I really couldn't figure out what that came from my
1: theory honestly mm-hmm. and i said this during right. the episode i think it's that there are too many thomases and morgans right and so they are then designated also by number
0: right and i i think that's probably it it, it seemed to me like um you know a ranking system but i think i think you're right i think that's that's actually what it was um <laughs> i tried to find out online but the theories that i found were uh, by random people in very poor Grammar <laughs> so, Oh
1: Yahoo Answers?
0: Uh, yeah but not even Yahoo Answers Just like some remote corner of the internet
1: Yahoo Answers? <laughs> so Sylvia showed up At Mark's right. And she's trying to get him To get her To Ruan because right. he is a secretary To the transport department mm-hmm. Hence the whole horse situation Right right Anyway, he's like, hey, you dizzy bitch. I can't get you to the front. That's stupid. Right. Actually, he didn't even say anything. He just says, I have to go to the office. <laughs> right. Um, but, but he's such an asshole to her. And, you know, so, like, basically, she's gone there more or less because she wants to go live at Groby.
0: Right. I or guess. at least... well, that's It wasn't what- it
1: made perfectly clear.
0: Well, see, that's what he thinks, I think. It's not... Sylvia's motivations throughout this episode are a little bit hazy to they me. They are a bit hazy. But um, in any case...
1: I think she's just bored.
0: Right. I mean, I think that's that's definitely a big part of it. Uh, but he says that as far as he's concerned, Groby is hers to deal with as long as she gets written authorization from Seabatch. Mm-hmm. He he says, fine, you can go up there. But he may not want you there. He may want Wanup to be living there with him. Mm-hmm. So so there yeah
1: <laughs> anyway she uh she says to him that she'll just go to the station and buy a ticket right which is like the equivalent of maggie smith saying what is a weekend <laughs> right because it's like this is not a woman who's accustomed to buying her own things <laughs> or potentially even ever paying for anything her entire life
0: it's hard to say uh but Campion back at his headquarters gets word of it And he is outraged Uh He will not have skirts at his headquarters He's like tell the provost marshal Tell the war office Tell the railways Tell the shipyards Tell everybody that she should not get within 50 miles of this camp he also discusses that there's a general that's been waiting for relief on the front for weeks. He's calling him twice a day uh, and that nobody can tell him where any of the units there are supposed to go. Mm-hmm. Like some are going overseas and some are going here, blah, blah, blah. But he's got a draft of Canadians that is Tejin's unit that he's gotten ready. And he's going to send it to the front right now before anybody in London can figure out what's going on. Yeah. And send them off to Timbuktu or wherever. Uh-huh. At the railway station, Sylvia is sort of wandering in, trying to figure out what to do, and who should she run into, but potty Perone potty <laughs> yes, who is apparently a uh, a king's messenger, so uh you know basically jumped up mailman
1: The thing that I love though was that the the porter lady was like, "What train and sylvia just goes dover i expect
0: <laughs> she just she's just like which is the train that goes to my husband
1: which is the train for the war? <laughs> uh but uh she gloms on to old potty pretty quickly who gosh has missed her sylvia i'm like i bet you have king's messenger uh so she yeah. seems to have uh found her conduit Yes, To getting to her husband. Yes,
0: a stupid, stupid conduit. (laughs) Uh, Back in Rouen, the Army Band is playing, uh, throughout this little scene, a song that kept sounding remarkably to me like he is an Englishman from HMS Pinafore, (laughs) which... It's not out of the question. I guess it's not out of the question. I'm pretty sure it wasn't, but (laughs) it kept... And then, of course, I end up thinking about that Simpsons episode and Sideshow Bob. Anyway.
1: <sighs>
0: <laughs> uh, Campion is standing around with some officers and is giving them all some champagne and is giving them a little pep talk. These are the officers of the Canadian unit that is about to get sent off to the front. As he's doing so, the phone is ringing and uh, Sergeant Ferret answers it. Hands him a note, and Campion gets all upset and says he's just finished up everything, and he says that is of course unless there are any other orders in the future, and storms off and, and asks Seabatch to follow him. Seabatch, during this, by the way, saw that same picture of Sylvia yes. lying on a table. Uh,
1: Sylvia with Johnny Pelham, with not Johnny a picture Pelham. of Sylvia right. lying on a table.
0: <laughs> right, Sylvia with sausage. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, Can somebody please, please paint us a picture of Sylvia with sausage?
0: With one of those twitty mustaches.
1: <laughs> and a monocle.
0: Um, yes. As uh, we figured out, the draft has been countermanded from leaving for the front. Campion is furious. Seabatch says, may I ask? And Campion says, you may not uh yeah they're apparently the the unit is now going to be going overseas so we see them again having the same meeting like the next day Apparently, nice champagne flutes though yeah the same meeting same champagne and he says well now you're going somewhere else but you're still gonna be great you're still a great unit. you're
1: still gonna get your chance at the hun <laughs>
0: yes uh the phone rings again during the speech it is not countermanding orders it is potty who is there and Sergeant Ferret says, and he's brought Mrs. Tejens with him. <laughs> and Campion reacts, as you might expect.
1: Yes, he's pretty upset. Yes. As well he should be.
0: As well he should be. Absolutely. She when, really
1: shouldn't be there.
0: Yeah. When you're a general, that's the sort of order you really expect should be capable of following Well, through. and it's,
1: again, just incredible. How did she, you know, if they did tell those people, like, hey, keep this redheaded skank out of our camp. <laughs> right. Right. We didn't know which red-headed skank you meant, sir. Yeah,
0: Well, but, you know. She p- was so high class. <laughs> right. But Potty would have been, you know, a- equipped with various, like, you know. Seals and counter seals. Seals and counter seals and authorizations from high points and yeah. all that. They arrive. Campion greets them outside. Potty comes up to Campion first. And Campion's like, I will smash you for this. I mm-hmm. will destroy you. Blah, 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 blah. Sylvia how lovely to see you oh
1: look General Campion consummate professional I love him I wish he was my boss
0: (laughs) He, he wouldn't be bad
1: Yes, and so Sylvia's oh, oh, General, we very much miss you. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and it's like, hey, there's a war going on. Yeah. Don't you think he has better things to do than, like, greet you?
0: She does not think she that. She does not think <laughs> that. She doesn't think anyone has anything better to do <laughs> at any time.
1: But I was just about to pull the strings of the shower, bath.
0: <laughs> it's the only thing that brings me joy.
1: <laughs> well, that and saying, potty. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that would bring anyone joy really (laughs) no boy potty but that's really the issue is how did potty think this was a good idea (sighs) as i said even by the standards of people named potty he is (laughs) dumb
1: (laughs) he is indeed very dumb
0: yeah one of the Canadian officers who, and he only gets like one line in here, but boy, his Canadian accent is unimpressive. I mm-hmm. had to say, uh, but his orderly's mother has come from Montreal to see him off, apparently, and so he doesn't
1: even have an American accent to keep
0: <laughs> him warm, right? Uh, and
1: well, his mother's come because uh, his two other brothers have already been killed yes. in this pointless uh, conflict. Right. And, and the kid, I mean, you got to give it to the kid. Yeah. Because he looks stricken. Yeah. Just yeah. stricken.
0: Right. Indeed. And so Seabatch agrees to give him leave to go off, off base to, mm-hmm. to, to see her. We then cut to, uh, bombs going off. Uh, and I'm, I'm not quite sure where they are all gathered here, but it's Seabatch and McKechnie and fat sergeant and a couple, you know, lower, lower mm-hmm. ranks who are O5 Thomas and O9 Morgan, the previously mentioned O9 Morgan. O5
1: Thomas speaks like the person who played Tobias in the original Broadway or London recording of Sweeney Todd. <laughs> whichever one had Len Carreau and Angela Lansbury. Yeah. He sounds yeah. exactly like him. Yeah. And it's devastating. It is.
0: Um, uh, so there, McKechnie is going mad under the bombing. He is crying and whimpering uh-huh. and, and just like losing his shit.
1: And Seabatch is like such an example. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, Seabatch is displeased as you might as you might think.
1: I mean, he's generally displeased. <laughs> well, that's true. He's extremely displeased. Yeah.
0: Um so he has uh Fat Sergeant Send 09 Morgan and 05 Thomas off uh with a message somewhere. Um and it, it, I'm pretty sure the idea was that it was primarily to give him a chance to
1: Slap MacCackney around. Slap McCackney around. Is this yeah. the part where uh, somebody says "Not so much swear words"? Oh five, Thomas. Yes,
0: yes, because he says
1: something about you know, got the fuckers. Yeah, <laughs> and this guy's like decorum. Yeah, we may all die in a pool of our own entrails, <laughs> but by God, we're not giving the Hun the satisfaction of cursing. <laughs> That's
0: right, in a language he doesn't understand.
1: <laughs>
0: uh... Williams is worried about his wife and that prize fighter, which is understandable. Um, but they, they head off on their mission, and then McKechnie's all like, oh, you, you're all in tight with General Campion and your wife, and I know all about you, blah, 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 blah. And Seabatch says that if you think General Campion's my friend, you are quite mistaken. I haven't a friend in the world. Yeah,
1: Seabatch got no friends. That's right. Seabatch got one up, and that's it.
0: <laughs> that is it. And they barely know each other. <laughs>
1: Oh, but they spent so much time thinking about each other.
0: Well, I mean, they certainly have. Yeah. Seeing each other in a kaleidoscope in their minds.
1: <laughs> well, that's how dating works, isn't it? <laughs> that's all I did the first few months with you. No calls, no seeing you, just mind kaleidoscope.
0: <laughs> You're so old-fashioned.
1: Well, you know, I've uh, got manners.
0: <laughs> uh, at dinner with General Campion... Uh, I don't know what else happens, but the French liaison officer that's there uh, remembers having seen Sylvia in Rouen in 1912. With her own. No, with Gerald Drake. I, I think. thought it was with Potty. Was it Potty? I thought it was with Gerald no. when they were getting married. No?
1: No, no, no. Okay. Well, they didn't get married in Rouen. Oh, right. They got, they got, married, got married in, in Paris. Paris. Yeah. And it was Potty because later he's saying, you know, this is the hotel where you ruined my life. Like, this is oh, the hotel true. that that's she, true. like, left him in.
0: Okay. Fair enough. So, you know, yeah. I knew it was with one so of he her gentlemen. he remembers that. Yeah, it was Potty. Okay.
1: Well, she wants to know why Christopher's bunking down in the barracks, or, like, why he couldn't come to dinner. Right. And Sergeant Ferret is like, uh, cause, like, there's an air raid, and he's on duty, so he has to, like, be there. And yeah. she's like, well, that's stupid. <laughs> yeah.
0: That That is her opinion about everything. But, uh, everything.
1: He, he is technically belayed, is that how you say that? Oh, b- billeted.
0: Oh, billeted, I believe. Billeted. Yeah.
1: He's billeted at the hotel, but they've booked her in the room next to him, and there's an adjoining door. Yes. For any marital shenanigans they uh, right. might want to get into,
0: Sergeant Ferret is has a weird look on his face when he explains that. But he always has a weird look on his face, so he is an odd-looking dude. He is. Um, he has a very twitchy nose. Um, a <laughs> uh, back it, at Seabatch's Batch's hut where they're getting bombed. Uh, o five Thomas gets back. Seabatch Batch says he can go take shelter with some other group, but he says no. We'll wait for his mate to get back. Mm-hmm uh he says uh Seabatch says something to McKechnie about he imagines he speaks seven languages he says t- five plus latin and greek of so, course right so that's like seven yeah
1: Seabatch's face and mine made the same look uh, yes when he said that
0: yes and then oh nine morgan gets back but like a bomb goes off right there as he's getting back and he dies
1: in the arms of oh five thomas Indeed. and oh my god He's swearing him, but he's also, like, he's got this, like, tremulous voice, and he's like, oh, it's my friend, O Nine 9 Morgan, surely to goodness, he's yeah. dead, and, like, it's horrible. Yeah, it's, it's really... It's just awful. Yeah, it and is. And then, because, like, Seabatch was about to go somewhere, and O-5 Thomas immediately starts cleaning the blood off of his boots, saying, you don't want to go to mess, you know, with blood on your boots, Yeah, uh, surely to goodness, yeah, Captain, and it's yeah. just, it's horrible.
0: And Seabatch says, if I had given him his compassionate leave, he wouldn't be dead, and 05 Thomas says well sure he wouldn't but it's all one you're a good officer mm-hmm. like and it
1: was it's it's, it's really the most cuz again so much of this episode is farce i mean it's literal right. bedroom door slamming farce right like it's an episode of Frasier,
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: But I mean, this is just this horrible snapshot, yeah. And again, and they're not even really, at the front; they're
0: not at the front. And it's so it was so non melodramatic, yeah. Like you know, it was real and it was you know horrible, but it wasn't. You there know, there was
1: a s- really beautiful simplicity to the scene, yeah, because. Yeah. You know, probably not the first mate this guy's lost Mm -hmm. at this point. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know I mean, I don't know, you know, if he's, what he's doing at the camp, you know, if he's a new recruit or what it is. But I mean, he was ready.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: So, uh, you know, poor Seabatch, though. Yeah. I mean, again, not in a self-pitying, melodramatic way. It's just, you know, he's such a logical person Mm -hmm. that every time something happens that he has done or decided, Mm -hmm. you know...
0: Yeah. He he well you know, he can always use his logic to find a way that he's at fault.
1: Exactly. Well, that is his jam.
0: Yeah. God, yeah.
1: is he sure he's not Catholic?
0: <laughs> <sighs> oh, he's sure he is Catholic. Remember because that's why he's saying to make sure that his son uses the term Roman Catholic. Ah. Because as far as the high church Anglicans are concerned, they've been Catholic all along. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just this minor dispute. <laughs> um uh, there's another scene with Sylvia, and this is where she talks about the strings at the shower bath again, uh, saying that that's something her mother says about her, mm-hmm. and uh, you know don't... she
1: has, I think, she has m- the mother. Yeah, yeah, has said it.
0: No, I, I agree. I just don't, never quite followed what it meant.
1: Well, um, we'll look it up, and maybe in episode five we can reveal all.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it could be, it may just be something that Tom
1: Stoppard knows. Like uh, Julian Fellows and the Hungry Hundred.
0: <laughs> Indeed. Seabatch <laughs> uh, has, again, a bit of vision with Mary Colligan.
1: Who was in The Great Gatsby, you told me. Yes,
0: she was in The Great Gatsby, the, the most recent version. She played Catherine, who I don't know who that is. I
1: assume she must have been some, you know, friend at the party. Yeah,
0: I, I assume that as well. The but one I that Tom
1: takes Nick to with Myrtle.
0: Right, right.
1: But, uh... No, I think she was just brought in as a ringer for Carrie Mulligan. You're and like right. as a bargaining chip with her agents, like, we got another one right here. <laughs> yeah. She's British too.
0: <laughs> she acts up, bam.
1: Nobody Mary w- Culligan, you're up.
0: <laughs> That's right. They won't even have to reshoot any of the scenes. Nobody will notice.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what one <of> up?
0: <laughs> uh McKechnie says that Seabatch has a letter from General Campion and See, asks him to read it to him, and he opens it up, and it says, For God's sake, can't you control your woman? And Keckney's like, well, it didn't say it was private.
1: And it also says that uh, he causes him more grief than basically everybody else in the camp. Right. Which right. is funny, because in the very first scene that we saw General Campion, he was saying that Tegent was the only good officer that he had.
0: Right. So he's right. done
1: a real 180.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so C. Batch is very emotionally worked up by all this, and so decides, naturally enough, that he wants to be challenged to write a sonnet. He, uh, he That's asks, how
1: you blow off steam!
0: Uh, apparently. It's it's new to me, but he asks McKechnie to give him the rhyme words, and he will write a sonnet in two and a half minutes. McKechnie, eager for a challenge, is like, fine, then I'll translate it into Latin hexameters in under three minutes! Um and it's a very, very odd...
1: It's the most British thing I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah,
0: it, it very much is. While he's writing this sonnet, some random old dude wanders into the tent and says things to Seabatch and does not call him Sir, uh, so gets chastised for that. But this is the famous Hotchkiss. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, He's been in the army two
0: weeks. He's been in the army two weeks. Prior to that, he was in Horseworld, that was where they could find him. I assume that was some that was sort a of publication, publication yes. not a world <laughs> a world of horses the- Oh it's
1: Equestria <laughs> from My Little Pony Friendship is Magic It's a great show with a positive message
0: yeah or you know England's premier equestrian themed theme park <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I want to go to the dung pile <laughs> We can't. There's too much pink eye. <laughs> These molly cuddled horse world horses.
0: <laughs> Ever since Hodgkins left. Hodgkiss. Um, so yeah, so they uh, you know, uh tell Hodgkiss to go off to wherever he should go. And Seabatch finishes the sonnet in Under the Time Limit, hands it to McKechnie, who says he's not going to start until he's verified that it is a sonnet. Uh, but then Sergeant Ferret interrupts. So he says, "You'll note that I haven't read it," and seals it up.
1: He, he says he'll it. he'll translate it when he has the time. Yes.
0: So Sergeant Ferret pulls—that's
1: how you make a guffin.
0: <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, pulls Seabatch out and is walking him through the camp uh, and is uh, saying blah blah blah. Very upset, sort of not being very clear, and says that. You know, she's here now and she's upset. She says you she she says you haven't written to her once.
1: Well, because Seabatch thought that this was an issue that Sergeant Ferret was happening was, with Mrs. Ferret. Right. But it turns out no, because Seabatch yeah. is like far- I can't be bothered with your absurd love life. Right. And he's like, No, 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 it's your absurd love life. Right. Like, so he, everything's
0: fine in the Ferret household.
1: He immediately goes like into a trance and says under his breath. Surely it can't be Miss Walnut, And he really should have waited for an answer. Oh, right.
0: But he just runs he off. He just
1: runs off. And so Ferret scampers behind.
0: <laughs> yes. Like Ferret's will. Indeed. Sylvia is standing at the, you know, the sort of entrance to the camp, talking with the guards, uh, one of whom says that he saw Seabatch with his own eyes that morning. He is fine. He's not dead or anything. And Sylvia says, great. You know what? I'm fine now. That's, that's all I needed. And I'll leave now. And so she is pulling away just as C-Batch comes up and sees her Mm -hmm. in the car, you know, going off into the distance. And
1: Sergeant Ferret's upset because she's taken the car. Right. (laughs) He's like, that was my car. (laughs) Right. My special Ferret mobile.
0: (laughs) And C-Batch is upset because he doesn't like Sylvia.
1: Who does? (laughs) Well. I like her. I I really have to say, Mm -hmm. she's such a complicated character yeah and like there's sometimes I'm like, I would really like you if you were the protagonist mm, mm-hmm. but she's not yeah, but I don't know like
0: yeah she's but she's
1: also just she's terrible, but she's great
0: yeah she's she's an uh, uh, an enigma mm-hmm. in a lot of ways yeah yeah no she's she's interesting
1: and it's just I think it's it's rare that you see you know a female character treated in this way yeah because even though she's doing all these horrible things to the protagonist and Mm -hmm. his love interest like it's never like the lens is very not they don't condemn her yeah
0: well she's not a victim she's constantly you know acting on her own behalf Mm -hmm. and and affecting things the way she wants to and you know she's kind of evil but she's not like horrible and it, yeah i mean she's, yeah, she's just but
1: she's just a complicated person yeah and, and you yeah. can't put her into a box
0: yeah indeed nobody puts baby in a corner
1: nobody puts sylvia in a cracked compact
0: <laughs> indeed we then see that night uh in sylvia's bedroom she's woken up uh, i think by some marching feet going by or something and she's standing looking out the window when old potty perone out in the hallway goes up to her door and starts rattling the doorknob and calling out to her and trying to get in
1: what an idiot
0: what an idiot i mean
1: look we all want to get laid on the eve of our potential death (laughs) right but like god yeah like have some class yeah like he's out in the hallway where anybody could see him
0: indeed and also what does it take for you to figure out that she's just not that into you like
1: (sighs) no we yeah it's well we're gonna Delve yes. into that even further.
0: <laughs> Indeed. Uh, Reveille the next morning, Seabatch is woken up in his tent uh with the news that the draft has come back that he sent off the previous night. And also the orderly that he had given that leave to has been arrested by the Red Caps for breaking curfew. We see him sort of interrogating the Red Caps, who are the the, the provost marshal, which is the military police, basically. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what they are. And he is rather upset with them. Apparently what happened was they saw him, uh, kind of hassled him for basically no reason, apparently said something about his mom, mm-hmm. uh, and then called him a blankety-blank colonial conscript, and then basically held him in conversation until it was two minutes after curfew, and then arrested him for breaking curfew. So C Batch says, mark it as case explained, uh dismisses the orderly. So case explained basically meaning not guilty, that yeah. there wasn't a valid excuse for it. And then lays into the red caps and it says that I'm very close to ordering an inquiry into your behavior and this had better never be repeated again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Fat Sergeant does his job by yelling dismissed mm-hmm. and they leave. Um, Fat Sergeant says that... The provost marshal is not going to be happy that C Batch has done this. That the he loves those off the police like his own dear lambs, he says. But you know, C Batch don't care. No, He's, he
1: very much does not care. He
0: cares only for justice. And uh, <laughs> uh, it's also, by the way, it was a railway strike that is the reason the draft did not make it out. Uh, C Batch is walking through the camp, and he sees. Uh, the colonel's horse that is out tied to a rail outside, which this is apparently Standings, is the horse area that he is in. Uh, and the, you know, minor officer or private, perhaps, that is tending the horse, Seabatch lays into him, asks, why is the colonel's horse in Standings? The guy mm-hmm. explains that it was Hotchkiss that did it and that if he did not follow Hotchkiss's orders, you know, Baron What's-His-Name would be upset. Mm-hmm. And Seabatch is like, oh, my God. You start treating that horse nice, and if Lieutenant Hotchkiss has anything to say about it, direct him to me.
1: Yeah, well, and the backstory on—I think it's this horse—is named Schomburg. Yes, and it's actually a German horse that was captured. Right, and Seabatch right. has taken real shine to it. Yes, we. So all, as
0: we remember, Seabatch, big fan of the horses.
1: Yes. Not so much having a good relationship with his son, but definitely big fan
0: of horses. Well, he gave his son a horse. There's nothing more he can do.
1: <laughs> well, I've taught you everything I can, Michael. <laughs> Have fun being a papist. Remember, parade. <laughs> 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 but, Daddy, ah. <laughs> any more questions will be answered by the groby tree. <laughs>
0: <laughs> doesn't it eat children yes <laughs> so stand clear
1: send it a telegram <laughs> P- a potty
0: <laughs> potty is sitting with sylvia down in like the lobby of the hotel uh and just pathetically begging her to like put Slob out his knob yeah um Emphasis on the pathetically.
1: Oh God. Look, like if you wanna look up the antithesis of sexy, (laughs) look up potty perone in this scene.
0: Yeah. Because then C Batch walks in, Sylvia sees him, and of course is unfazed. Um Both because she's always unfazed and of course because she isn't actually doing anything wrong and no, she's not. No, because
1: Potty Prune's like, what are we going to do? Right. And, you know, basically she has a whole stopperty monologue about, oh, I can see him in the glass. He's come and he's Jesus Christ and something, the adultered woman and blah, blah, blah.
0: Yeah. I have a feeling that Tom Stoppard wishes this was, in fact, a play so that she could have actually just seen a glass and not have Seabatch be on stage like he would have been off stage and the whole thing. Yeah. Would have been. Anyway. Um, Tom Stoppard wishes everything was a play. Well, certainly. But yeah, uh, Sylvia tells Potty not to worry that Seabatch wouldn't hit a big girl like him. It's mm-hmm. not nice to hit girls.
1: A decent man doesn't hit girls.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah. uh, Sylvia is going to bring him to heel.
1: Yeah. She's going to change the expression on that wooden face. Right, right. Uh, Yeah. She just, you know, she's. And she says to, to Potty, Oh, I'm a desperate. I'm a woman desperately trying to get her husband back. And he says, No, you just want to squelch him or, like, make him squirm. Right. Well, yeah. Well,
0: um,. Yeah, because she says, if he threw me his handkerchief, I would follow him around the world in my shift. Mm-hmm. And Potty, in the one good line he has in the whole episode, is like, no, you wouldn't. You know, you just want to make you know, him squeal. Make him squeal. Yeah. And
1: for that, he's rewarded by being told she will leave her door open. Yeah. Uh, but he may not get anything and he may not like what he gets. Indeed. Which, uh, Potty does not take that as the warning. It so clearly is. Right.
0: Uh, we also learn that Seabatch does not have a woman, nor does he even ever go to Madame Suzette's.
1: Not even once.
0: Not even once.
1: Not even for the crepes.
0: Like, how is Madame Suzette going to feed her children? I don't know.
1: Way to not support the local economy, <laughs> British Army.
0: Yeah. So they, they have a, a meeting with... Uh,
1: it's a, sort of the, it's a tea with the locals. It's like a weekly tea. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, so, you know, all the high-ranking officers and various high-ranking, you know, local dignitaries Sergeant Ferret
1: is uh, being introduced to the head of the French railway mm-hmm. uh, by a French officer. And then he starts saying, you know, what the hell are you doing? Hating the Hun has to come first. And <laughs> right. then the other guy translates into French. Completely not that. He's like, <laughs> oh, he says congratulations on your efforts. <laughs> right. I don't know why I sound like a life is a beautiful <laughs> for I am a French.
0: Oh, some sort of Dago anyway. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, Campion essentially advocates for Sylvia to see Batch says that, you know, she sort of uh, deserves better from him, I think, and, and that
1: yeah, I mean Campion has an extremely high opinion of Sylvia. Yes, exactly. And Seabatch is about to tell him where he can stick that high opinion <laughs> when right. Sylvia herself shows up. Yeah. Uh, with potty Perone, <laughs> <laughs> Right. She's told him that she needs him to bring her so it couldn't look like she couldn't find a man to escort her. Right. And of course, as soon as he sees General Campion, like, he looks like a deer in headlights and like runs away. <laughs> yeah. You can almost also, hear him going, Yip, 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 yip. <laughs>
0: Indeed. Also, really, Sylvia. Like, haven't you found too many men to escort you? Like, maybe you should change it up. But I
1: think her not, value I, system's a little bit skewed. Well,
0: I think I think that's true. Uh, she's mad at Seabatch for not having come to the hotel. He starts to explain the perfectly valid reasons that he didn't.
1: But she doesn't like to talk about the war.
0: Right. Uh, so he asks how Michael is because Michael has not written, and Sylvia's like, "Well, he hardly knows you." Boy, uh, she's
1: doing a bang up job of whatever her hazy intentions oh, are.
0: Right, I guess so. Uh, McKe- I mean, I
1: guess if she showed up and was nice to him right off the bat, that would be even more suspicious.
0: Well, that's true. Uh, McKechnie pops in just to remind everyone that he still has the sonnet and it's still sealed. <laughs> um, and Campion says that he is shipping Sylvia out in the morning and she should be thankful that she's, you know, for what she's gotten. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Back at one up school. <laughs> valentine is discussing the that the women are getting the vote and uh, this was sort of mentioned earlier
1: this was mentioned in the first scene they were saying yeah. it's you know women over 30 and women who are married right and so right. all the girls are like are you going to vote miss <laughs> miss miss <laughs> are you going to vote are you friends with mrs Pankhurst, Miss? Uh,
0: so, right uh and they, they say Pankhurst must be your hero or whatever and she's like oh well you know i'm certainly not hers because Pankhurst is very You know, down. Militant. Yeah, militant and down with pacifists. Mm -hmm. And one of the girls says, Well, surely you wouldn't be a pacifist if you had a sweetheart at the front, would you? And she says, you know, like, is taken aback by the moment, Mm -hmm. since, of course, she does, and then says, well, of course, I'd be even more so, wouldn't I? Mm -hmm. Which, uh, we're totally on your side.
1: Yeah, but the girls are a bit confused, but, you know... Right. They're young and have been experiencing a lot of propaganda.
0: Right. When they say, do you have a sweetheart at the front, miss? But then there's some shenanigans back in the shower room or something that conveniently provide a distraction. Indeed. Yeah. The provost marshal is very upset with Seabatch as predicted and is yelling at him and Seabatch is like, well, you tell your men not to call these people damned con- damned conscripts and the provost marshal is like, well, they are damned conscripts and c is like, no, volunteers, every one of them um, and so they're just getting in a fight. The Man, is he also,
1: really is a great commanding officer. He really is. It's like, killing me, Smalls. Yeah,
0: it's really, he really, this is such, this environment is so well suited to his abilities. Mm-hmm. Um, well, except that he's not, you know, political enough. Yeah. And that seems to be getting him in trouble. Also, this whole scene is in the dark, as many scenes yeah, in this episode are. this is are.
1: frustrating. This is really our only complaint about this series visually, is yeah. that the scenes that are dark are so dark mm-hmm. that you can't even make out whatever it is you're supposed to be seeing. Right,
0: right. Seabatch comes to the hotel that night and is hanging out with Sylvia as they have the adjoining door. Um, He he says that uh, he's been inspecting all the battalion's toothbrushes, almost all of which were clean because the soldiers use their button brushes on their teeth so that their toothbrushes are always clean for inspection, which is just a nice little, you know, army life Mm -hmm. vignette there.
1: She's got two letters for him. Yes. One from Mrs. Wanup, who apparently doesn't know that her daughter is your mistress. (laughs) I really like impersonating Sylvia. Yeah. (laughs) I think I'm going to be Sylvia for Halloween every day. (laughs) Uh, There's also one for him from his brother Mark the first line of which reads your bitch of a wife came to see me. <laughs> but she says something interesting about you know how mark was foolish enough to have sent that letter to the flat right and she read it knowing that benedict cumberbatch's you know view of marriage is that they ought to be able to read each other's mail
0: right which which is, which he totally is like yeah absolutely no
1: and i mean you know that's how we operate
0: yeah yeah indeed
1: i mean we barely open any of our mail <laughs> right but you know yeah i would never mind if you read my mail
0: okay Duly noted.
1: There's about four thousand envelopes over here. <laughs> right. So you better get to work.
0: <laughs> yes. Uh C. Batch then falls asleep in the middle of the conversation. He is exhausted. Uh, the next morning a telegram comes for C. Batch, and he's gotta go. He's got there's been new orders for his unit and they've got to ship out and he's gotta head over there. But he says that Groby is at her disposal as far as he's concerned. Uh, and she says, she sort of accuses him of pl- essentially planning on getting killed. And she says, I warn you, if you do get killed, I'll cut the cedar down. It's darkening the various rooms or whatever. <laughs> and Batch like reacts to that. And she's like, aha! I finally got a reaction out of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he says he has no intention of being killed, but of course it may not be up to mm-hmm. him. Uh, Sylvia now takes this t- moment to say, really, As much as anything, this is what she came here to say, which is that she has not had a man in five years and more. She hasn't let herself be kissed or touched, you know, since Potty. Mm -hmm. You know, this whole time she has been waiting for it. And she says that all the porters and everybody that that let her come there must have felt the heat of it on her Mm -hmm. and smelled her musk of how much she wanted sea uh, batch mm-hmm. and you know he's sitting there the whole time making his various sea batch expressions
1: <laughs> <laughs> the many faces of sea batch
0: yeah Jill, it always sort of looks like he's hooked up to some kind of electrodes
1: <laughs> yeah it's kind of like malcolm McDowell in a clockwork orange only the electrodes are invisible <laughs>
0: right right and she again as always accuses him of not being mean enough to her but at the end of this monologue, suddenly Seabatch grabs her.
1: Well, she says she's changed her mind,
0: right? And she no longer wants him. And but... then
1: that's just a bridge too far for Seabatch. Yeah. So he grabs her and is about to, like you know, go to town, yeah. train style.
0: Right. Oh, there it's on. At uh, this point, we were
1: very excited.
0: Yes, because indeed. there
1: hadn't been any really solid banging right in a while. Yes. Uh, but unfortunately, yeah. as he always must. Uh the moment is ruined. Uh, right. By Potty Perone. Indeed. Who has shown up to the door, which was unlocked as promised. Right. Uh, and so Seabatch goes and like shoves him. Right. And
0: He so but he shoves him and in so doing shoves him into O'Hara, the provost marshal, who then is yelling at them and demands to know what's going on and all that sort of thing, and Seabatch is like, This is my wife's room, I demand you get out now, and sort of pushes him out there and accuses O'Hara of being drunk, which he kind of seems to be. He does I, seem pretty drunk. Um but O'Hara accuses him of assaulting a superior officer and says that he's under arrest and it's it's a whole thing. Sylvia just laughs at this whole thing and thinks this is another, you know, delightful, silly game. Uh, and Seabat just like no, I, I actually am under arrest now. Yeah, like, I'm actually really in big trouble.
1: No, and it's just like God, I hate her so much now. <laughs> right. Like again, like I just liked her, and yeah. then I don't anymore because she can't. She doesn't have any conception that her actions have any consequences for anybody.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, even herself. Like any, you know, she's occasionally confronted with the consequences of her actions, but then she's always just like super pouty, right? But, I mean, it's just like, okay, like, he was so ready to have sex with you, and if you hadn't, you know, told this maroon that he could come up there, Mm -hmm. you would have just had sex, and probably life would have been good for, like, two days. Right.
0: Yeah. You could have, you know, you could have had a nice, relaxing trip home before you started bitching at people again. Mm -hmm. But, no.
1: That's uh, not their style.
0: Indeed. Uh, So, Campion comes to see Batch in his tent. That day, I guess. And uh, first of all, ask him about the fire extinguishers, which Seabatch starts to attempt to explain. He's like, "I don't want your memoirs." <laughs> uh, and so he tells him that he is going to go inspect the cookhouses and demands that Seabatch comes with him. And this is because this gets Seabatch out of being under arrest because he has been given an order to perform a duty mm-hmm. by a superior officer, so that that takes precedence. So as Seabatch is going to get. Uh, Dressed, He wasn't in his full uniform. Ferret goes along with him and is sort of, you know.
1: He's trying to get to the bottom of what exactly happened the previous night. Right,
0: exactly. Uh, And he says, was General O'Hara drunk? The General Campion graduated, went to Sandhurst with him. You know, wink, wink. And Seabatch is like, "Uh, okay, in that case, you know what? He wasn't drunk. I was clearly wrong. He was like,
1: you know what? I was drunk then. Yeah, he's like, whatever. I'll plead guilty to whatever. He's yeah. like, I just want this to be over. Yeah,
0: he's he's taking the rap for everything. Yeah. Uh, so then Campion is is walking with Seabatch and basically lets him know what's what's going to happen. That he has made him. He says, "You're going to get this order. Don't think of it a, as a punishment. Think of it as a promotion. I'm making you second in command to this regiment that's that's at the front, because that's all I can do." And he he, he says something about. Seabatch's orderly uh, he knew him twenty years ago and he should have been at least a quarter the cook or the cook yeah uh, should have been at least a quartermaster by now, but he had some sort of uh, a woman involvement at some point that, yeah. that got him into trouble.
1: He kept calling he kept saying that she was his sister. Right. But like wasn't his sister. So like what
0: Yeah. So somehow keeping a woman and got in trouble over it, and that was twenty years ago and he's still just a cook. Mm -hmm. Basically, you know, this is a sort of pointed story Mm -hmm. about where Seabatch is in his life, and he's like, Look, General O'Hara is mad at you. The French are mad at you. I mean this is what you know, back in the day, he was a well, liaison with the French originally back a couple episodes right. ago, but they got pissed off by the French. He notes that that's partly Gerald Drake was one of the people that got him in trouble with the French. But, you know, he's pissed off, you know, Hotchkiss. Um, so he can't he can't go transfer him to the horse lines because Hotchkiss will be there. And he knows that Seabatch would not be able to work with Hotchkiss. Mm-hmm. He says that Seabatch says he would rather die than let horses be treated according to Hotchkiss's abominable theories. And Cambion's like, well, you might. That appears to be what's about to happen. You know, and he says so so that all he was left with was to either send Seabatch home in disgrace or send him to the front lines. Mm -hmm. So he's sending him to the front lines because he can't keep him here. The men cannot be commanded by someone whose personal life is as incomprehensible and embarrassing as yours. (laughs) Which is a phenomenal thing to say. Yeah. Um, and he asks Seabatch uh, about Sylvia, you know, something about why, why – well, because he says that – he says that the French officer had seen her with Potty all those years ago, and the general Campion had always bought into the story that – she had not, that she had just gone off to be with her mother in Germany mm-hmm. back when she had left with Potty.
1: That was clearly a made up story, General Campion.
0: Right, but General Campion had believed it and now feels the fool to have been. But he
1: still is on her side. He's like, no, she's a saint. <laughs> right. He's like, I know this now, but I don't even care.
0: Yeah, it's true. But he says, Seabatch says, well, what's a man to do when his wife is unfaithful? And he says, force the harlot or live with her like a man. I thought you knew that.
1: I don't even know what that means.
0: Well, I think it means, um, you know, I think, I mean, honestly, I think it means sort of the same thing that Sylvia's been saying, that either forgive her or don't forgive her. Don't, you know, you know, either kick her out or actually forgive her and move on. Okay. Don't live with her, but keep, you know, punishing her, mm-hmm. basically. Um, And that's where C Batch says, but I thought that with men of a certain sort, there was, you know... Call it parade or sailboat Again? or kangaroo. Or <laughs> Sunscreen. <laughs> right. Um, but, you know, he says call it parade and Campion, rather than be confused by that term, <laughs> 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 says there are no more parades for that regiment. It held out to the last man, but you were him, which that, that was the good line. It was a good line. Yeah.
1: Roger yeah. Allen is great. and He deserves all the awards.
0: He does. Yeah. No, and... And that's, and this scene too, he's like, look, his whole, his performance in this scene Mm -hmm. as he's laying the whole situation out for him and his mixture of sympathy and annoyance and and everything.
1: Well, and the other thing I would say though too is like, well, you know, again, I do think it's Sylvia's fault. She's the one who decided she was going to be chased. I mean, she's the one. Yeah. Yeah. She is the one who provoked him into this course of behavior because she refused. She refused to be sorry. Right. You can't forgive someone who refuses to be sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And at no point was she ever actually penitent, as the late, uh, lamented father, uh, what's his name? Con- right. Con- Consent. Consent. Yeah. Uh, you know, he had her number. Yeah. But I mean,. You know, I mean, it's just, you know, he was put in an impossible position by this woman and then blamed for playing the role she cast him in. Right. So anyway, I realize well, that there's yeah. no way that General Campen would know this. But
0: well, right. No, that's true. Well, and that Sylvia, yeah, she never, she only ever berated him for his behavior. She never actually asked him exactly. to behave differently. And
1: if you've ever been married, you know that, uh, you know, you attract a lot more uh, flies with asking than rating right this really went off the rails
0: <laughs> yeah you really can't ask flies for anything as it turns out yeah we've,
1: they're dicks we've tried <laughs> yeah so anyway you know campion is just another in the long parade <laughs> of people who's telling sea Batch like hey dude you are living an outmoded lifestyle right it is the 1920s you need to like get with it yeah
0: well 19 teens still well, but oh, nonetheless God, whatever
1: <laughs> Who pays attention to a timestamp. stamp?
0: <laughs> uh, not many people. <laughs> yeah, no, because I was actually trying to figure out what specific year this was when I was trying to figure out about General Perry, but I didn't. Um, yeah, and then we get Sylvia in the car being driven off to go back to England. The driver asks if she had a good trip. She says she did. She seemed to be in quite a good mood, really. Uh, she asks if the draft got off and the driver says that it did and she's like and he's like oh you know the, the army lingo eh miss or you know whatever respectful mm-hmm. title uh, and she says she would hope so and uh, then she looks at herself in that same old compact with the cracked with the cracked mirror yeah yeah it symbolizes uh kaleidoscopes
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah and that's episode four
0: yes it is we're
1: almost to the end yeah of the parade
0: yeah um, and I, you know, really, really liked the episode and I really liked its depiction of military life in mm-hmm. wartime. No, like, again, just there was nothing really...
1: sentimental, there was nothing patriotic about it. Right, I mean, right. Well, and you know, <laughs> Sylvia was talking about the, uh, the suffragists mm-hmm. at dinner. Oh, and we missed this, but, uh, sergeant ferret reads the daily sketch oh right yes because he said he saw that women are getting the vote in right. the daily sketch right and uh we were like that's b- he's just like McGee." <laughs> um but anyway uh
0: just the same twitchy th- nose and everything
1: yeah so she's <laughs> <laughs> weird eyes <laughs> uh So, but Sylvia was saying, you know, she doesn't mind that the suffragists are (laughs) pro-German. I mean, I have German friends. And I'm like, this is a non sequitur. Right. Like, you crazy old bitch. Well, she likes
0: to offend people. She
1: does. She likes to pull the strings on the shower bath.
0: Apparently so, yes.
1: Well, we'll be back (laughs) in a couple of weeks to pull the strings on our own shower bath. (laughs) That's right. But until next time... Up Up yours downstairs. downstairs. Luncheon out.